This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome to the Andy Good Suite, and I'm delighted to be joined by a player that I went to war with, and not with really, against quite a few times in the olden days, the good old Leicester against Wasps days, a fellow fly half, a fellow fly half that struggles with the old follicles at the front of the hair like I did. Mine's grown back. Kingy has gone strong. Delighted to be joined by a Wasps legend, an England legend, and now a Wells legend, hopefully for him, being part of the Warren Gatlin's coaching setup. Alex King joins me. How are you, mate? Very good, Andy. Great to be part of your show. Love to speak to you. As you say, usually face-to-face on the rugby field, but now face-to-face on, on media. I love it. You must be inundated with media requests at the minute because obviously being part of Warren Gatlin's new coaching team and exciting times ahead with the Six Nations. Yeah, it's been um, a bit of a whirlwind. Gats got in touch just before Christmas and things went from there, really. He's a great man, Gats, and I'm sure we'll talk about him back in our wasp days, but he's put together a really good staff, some great blend of experience and young uh, whippersnappers in the squad. Yeah, I just can't wait to to crack on and contribute to, to world rugby. Yeah, mate, looking forward to seeing how that all develops. Let's go back then to the, the glory days at Wasps. We used to have some unbelievable battles between Leicester and Wasps. Sometimes we'd win. Most of the time, you boys would win when it came to the big dance at the end of the season. Yourself, Lawrence... Simon Shaw, these boys, Joe Worsley, the team was just phenomenal and you had a huge amount of success. What do you look back on those days with um, most sort of fondly? Yeah, I think there were special days. I mean, you probably had the two most iconic, um, certainly forwards that have ever played for England in, in Jono, who was captain at Leicester and obviously Lawrence, who was captain at Wasps and, you know, some titanic battles. I remember those European back-to-back games in December. I think Leicester won both of them, but there was, a, there was one image where I think Cosser and Lowell squared off, you know, hands around throats. Jono got involved. But I think Whitey was there. Shawsy, I mean, titanic men, huge men of the game who just put it on the line every time we seemed to play each other. And I remember the 2005, last month or so, I think we, we came up to the Welford Road and I think it was Jono's last game. And I think you, you absolutely spanked us. I think one of the two Laggy brothers was at an absolute fire that day. And unfortunately, I think he broke his leg. Scoring a try. Yeah, Henry. Remember it well. I mean, with a new tackle law, I'm not sure you'd want to go go along that bad. Um, <laughs> but I remember, you know, John had got a standing ovation after, after the game. Um, it was the last game. And I think the final, a couple of weeks later, was Leicester against Wasps uh, at Twickenham. And I think we got the better of them day. But I remember, Goody, we were in the bus on the way to, I think, Fulham or the Purple Club in Fulham. Like that. <laughs> I got a text from you and I was like, fair play, Goody. You know, we had a better day, but... You had the time and presence to, to, you know, send a text and say, well done. And I think that's probably a measure of the two clubs. There was a huge amount of respect between us. We got lucky and or we did well on the on the big final stage. But you, 
you seem to have the match first during the course of the season. Right, it's all about the trophies at the end of the year, wasn't it? That's, that was the difference where you boys stepped up. Let's talk about those days then in terms of there was a massive amount of respect. And I remember those scraps that were always kicking off between Lyle and Jono. And yeah, they had an ultimate amount of respect for each other as well. But I think me and you were always at the back just chatting to each other while all the boys were, <laughs> were scrapping, right? <laughs> no, they were immense. There was just superstars all over the field. I mean, Leicester, we had you know the spine of that World Cup winning team. Uh, was contributed with you know four or five for the guys interspersed. There was some you know you know Leicester always had a couple of you know Fijians, Samoans who, who who gave a little bit of X factor. And yes, they're they're brilliant days um, as we see Leicester sort of back in the in the big time now, winning trophies last year. And was it's a it's a tale of and it's a sad tale really of, of what's happened. And fingers crossed they can bounce back and get some stability because there's some very good people involved in the club and it was it's really sad to see how the clubs in the last few months. Yeah, there's a few legends involved as well, isn't there, in terms of rebirth of Wasps since they've gone bust and obviously got relegated from the Premiership. Were you ever involved in any of that or it's obviously players from your era as well, right, that are involved? Yeah, not really. Obviously, I know the guys involved. Wasps, to be fair, has never really had a solid foundation in where it's played. You know, I've played at Sudbury and then we moved to QPR and then we moved to Wickham Wanderers and then the club obviously then moved to Coventry you know four glamorous places if I could name four <laughs> four glamorous places <laughs> but the one thing it has and I'm sure most rugby clubs are like this but uh, I can only talk about what's experiences the, the people involved in the rugby club have been immense I've got to take my hat off to Peter Scrivener as a far better contributor off the field than he, he ever was on the field <laughs> very true and then especially in lockdown he, he created a, a WhatsApp group of and I think you're, you're on it, Goody. And, and whether you play one game, 100 games, you know, or you've contributed to the club in some way, you're part of the Wasp family. And I think that Wasp Legends group has certainly been very important in the sort of hopefully the rebirth of the, of the club because there might be an avenue or finance or they'll, they'll, somebody will know someone who can kickstart the, the rebirth. And there's some fantastic people on that group. And fingers crossed that there can be a solution going forward. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Purple Nightclub in Chelsea and Fulham and all that stuff. You must have had some banging nights out with the likes of Saki and who was the king of London at the time, Lawrence as well, and, and those boys. What are your favourite memories from... Because Wasps was always about playing hard on the field, but playing hard off it as well. And, and Warren Gatland... And, that's, that's probably why you joined, isn't it? it well, it was, <laughs> but it changed a bit by then. There wasn't as much fun off the field, I don't think. But yeah, like Gats and Sean drove that as well, didn't they, back in the glory days? They did, and, and there's probably no greater party man than, than Lawrence back in the day, um, which I think probably still is. <laughs> that doesn't change. When you do win, it's important to celebrate because the, the game is hard and you do spend a lot of time, not sacrifice, but you do put yourself first a little bit and it's just a bit of a release at the end of the season. And we always had good celebrations in that part of London, whether it was Chelsea, Fulham, with a cracking fancy dress party in 2005. Yeah, just some of the costumes and you, you reminisce going through back through old photos now. People didn't really have smartphones back in those days. You had to print print things out. But great memories. Uh, the double in 2004, the Heineken and the Premiership. We went to Purple that night and it was doubles all around. You know, that was the drink of choice. Mm. Just, yeah, in- incredible. We were very lucky. Very lucky enough. Uh, you know, I never take it for granted how lucky we were, especially those, those Gatlin years, 02 to 05, three Premierships and two European trophies. And yeah. Great memories, great friends, and not every player can say they've experienced those times. I bet you boys were pretty glad there was no smartphones and social media back around those days, especially Lawrence. Yeah, mate, it was a, it was a different different world back then. Although, you know, we were very well behaved and, you know, we were respectful of sure. 
of everyone around us. Yeah, sure. And we, we showed the young lads how to do it. <laughs> Good stuff. Obviously, you know, after your wash days, you moved to France, spread your wings a bit around the game there. What, what was that move about? Obviously, you're a, a bit of a legend at Wasps, and was it more about just experiencing something else, or was it more of a focus on going to work with Joe Schmidt and seeing how things developed at Claremont with an eye on coaching afterwards? 11 years at Wasps, 2007, took a flight to Claremont in, in France, never been there before, hadn't played them in, in Europe or anything, I didn't know much about them. I had a great meal with Vern Cotter, went round to his house, he cooked me the most delicious steak on his barbecue, pulled out the best red wine. We had a great chat about rugby and, and his philosophy, and I just thought he was a great man. Went back home, spoke to my wife about this new adventure. We just bought a house in, in Wandsworth. So she wasn't particularly happy that we were just going to have to up sticks and, and leave. But I suppose that's the life of the rugby family. It's a bit, it's a bit nomadic. And I said, well, I've been offered this contract in France. You know, do, you, do you fancy it? And she was like, where is it? Is it near the sea? I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure we're not far from the sea anyway. She believed in the project and we packed up and we drove to the middle of France, in the middle of nowhere. It's a part of France that not many English people go to. They, they tend to drive straight through down to Saint-Tropez or Montpellier or Perpignan. Somehow passed my medical. <laughs> the French doctor's not there anymore. Think, uh, <laughs> I was, I was... He, had his, he had his license taken off him, did he? Well, <laughs> he looked at my knee and I, I thought he was going to tell me there's no chance you're going to sign that contract, but... He probably had too many red wines for lunch and I managed to get through it and uh, signed it. But as a playing experience, it was it was tough because I probably wasn't fit enough to really show my best side. But I was very, very lucky to work with Vern and Joe Schmidt, you know, two fantastic coaches now, top-ranking world coaches. And I learned a huge amount from them. And for me, having known only one thing at Wasps, and I was very lucky at Wasps, we, we had some great coaches in Sean and, and Geach and Gats, Nigel Melville, Rob Smith, I'd only known one thing and therefore it just opened my eyes up to a different way of being able seeing the game and I learned a huge amount of both those guys. Ended up signing for one year but then after with coaching the academy and working with the first team ended up staying there for seven years. So um, yeah, I've got huge links to, to France. Love it. You can now speak French which I couldn't do before. I know you spent some time in Breve, didn't you, you Goody? Which is probably even more isolated than probably Claremont, actually. Yeah, we had two two bars and one nightclub, I think, we had in, in Breve. So, uh, Luckily, they're two good bars. Yeah, well, they got the message every week, I think. So how was that then under Joe Schmidt and Stern Vern? Because obviously you, you go down to Montpellier as well at some point and, and Vern takes you down there, which I'm sure your missus was way happier about being down in Montpellier than in Claremont. But you look at back now and as a young coach yourself, retiring from the game and going into coaching and seeing what those guys have achieved as coaches now. I mean, what a perfect way to start your coaching career. I was absolutely blessed. Absolutely. I didn't know much about Vern and Joe, I'll be totally honest. I knew they came over from New Zealand. They'd been involved in Super Rugby. But it just opened my eyes up to how the game can be seen from a different lens. At Wasps, it was very... Even though we had a, a good attack, I'd say, a comp, you know, decent, it was, a, it was efficient. Defence was probably the DNA of, of the club at that time. And then I went to Claremont and... Joe and Vern, it was more attack focused, just the appreciation of trying to find space to play in, where the space is, how we can manipulate defences to exploit mm. those situations. And so for me, it was it was great seeing the other side of the coaching philosophy, I suppose. And then you try and as a coach, you know, trying to get better, you try and match different bits of the game and learn off the best pr- practitioners form your own identity and philosophy and I feel very very lucky I've worked with some of the greatest that have ever been in the game yeah how do you find that difference between coming back from France to 
coach Saints, win the league. And then it wasn't long after that, actually. Was it a year after that that you end up leaving the club as well? I mean, yeah. that's football level, isn't it? You win the league one year and then yeah. go on the next. I suppose the, the biggest challenge being in France is probably clarity of message with different languages. And you want to respect that. So you do all your meetings in French. So then you end up, the French people don't understand you because your French is so bad. And the English speakers don't understand you because you <laughs> it's not the French they're, they're trying to learn. So you end up exhausted at the end of the day with your head a bit scrambled trying to like think, did I actually get my message across? Obviously, when you come back to England, it's it's a common language and therefore it's a much easier to, to have those conversations. Just talking and, and thinking about you as a coach, speaking in French to some players, English to others, and you know you get to the end of the day and you're fried. People just see coaches at the weekend, right? They don't see how hard the job is Monday to Friday. And there's a reason I'm not a coach. Probably A, because I'm not good enough, but B, I saw how hard some of the coaches worked and I thought, I can't work that hard to save my life, let alone you know do a decent job on the field. But how hard is it going to France? You know, you've got your family over there. I know you've got young kids. You get home, you are absolutely frazzled from how hard you're working in terms of the language, but also first in, last out kind of mentality. And then, yeah. you know, your family on top of that. It, it, it's really tough on the mental side as well, isn't it? It is, especially if you go through a bit of a tough run. It's all it's all encompassing. But I'm very lucky. I've got a fantastic family, amazing wife, two beautiful children. And then you sort of realise that there's, yes, rugby is important and you want to do your best, but you've got to find some balance and enjoy your time away from, from the club and be able to park it. But it is, it is a tough job. I mean, like, like any job, it's tough. I'm sure you have your tough moments in your in your glamorous media world, but it's it's important you have a good good crew around you as well, and understand there'll be days where you have more energy and you can bring that to the group, and there'll be days where you know because everyone's got things going on in their lives, and you try and support and and help as much as possible. I think just trying to be be authentic is probably the biggest advice to give to anyone going to coaching. Don't try and be someone you're not because players can see through that. It's exhausting putting up a mask every day of, 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 not, of not being who you are. So if, if it's going well, enjoy it. Bring all that energy. If it's not, then have someone that you can go to to, to ask some advice and just uh, share what's ever going on in your head. Because as I said, when you're on a tough run, it, 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 it's a, it can be a tough place to be. But if you're working with good people, it, it makes it a little bit easier. And how hard is it to put the ball down when you get home? Because, you know, I hear stories about some coaches, the likes of Steve Borthwick, who's a workaholic, Eddie Jones, he was up at three o'clock in the morning planning stuff and expects his coaches to do the same. Is it all dependent on the environment you're in or how how hard is it to put the ball down and say, listen, I'm parking rugby now, I'm just focused on my family? It is really hard because you're constantly thinking about the next day's training, you know, have I got the message across? Is the detail all right for tomorrow? Have I spoken to the player that hasn't been picked this week? You know, and there's, there's lots of things going in your brain. So I think the more you do it, the probably easier it is to probably compartmentalise a little bit. And if you do need to work in the evening, maybe give yourself an hour and then do your, your bath time and the bedtime with your kids to, to, to make sure that they, they get part of their daddy as well because they don't really care what you do for a living as long as you're present. I think when you when you do have your time off, you really got to use it to, to reinvigorate. And everyone's different. Some people will work every hour sends but I just as I said for me I think getting that balance with family work and you know my own time as well you know I've just got a new puppy just taking her for a half an hour walk and my new favourite thing is Desert Island Discs yeah. I just, I just, I'm obsessed by them it's a good half an hour just to debrief you know just to think about things with you know just to chill out really it's just it's, you get a good balance yeah and obviously I've got a lot of mates across the game that have been coaches and are in and out of work a lot it's Obviously tough because, you know, when you're a player, you're 
in control of your own destiny. It's your own performance kind of thing. As a coach, you're relying on other people. Now you, you go to Gloucester and you have some success there and, and then you leave the, the Gloucester job. How does that sit with you in terms of then looking for another job? Because, you know, obviously the Welsh job now is massive for you and you know, hopefully there's a lot of longevity in that. But as a, as a coach, it's pretty tough, isn't it? You, you know, you're out of a job at Gloucester. Uh, and what keeps you busy then in terms of coaching and, and looking for other stuff? I, I love my time at Gloucester. I, I felt that this summer I just wanted to just get a bit more balance in my life. It, it became all-encompassing. So I did do some consultancy work, worked with other clubs, but on my own terms a little bit. And I think in coaching, yes, you do want to be in employment all the time, but also you want that to be on your terms a little bit. So when the Welsh job came up and Gats spoke, it just felt really a good fit because the family can stay where they are. I can travel across the M4 bridge a couple of times a week and get back and see the family and get that balance we I was talking about. And it's going to be really intense for certain periods and then oh, there'll be some, some downtime. So it's a, it's a really good fit for me and I'm really looking forward to giving it all my energy and I just think, you know, what an opportunity and what a privilege to be part of uh, Gats' setup. Yeah, I was going to say about Gats, he's obviously a brilliant bloke. Everyone talks so highly of him. Was it an easy decision just to say, you see Gats' number come up and you're like, yeah, this is it, it feels good? Or were there any questions where you're like, right, well, I need to really talk to the missus? Or do you even bin the missus off and say, I'm taking this job, whatever you say? Because it's Gats. I think she probably said, you've got to take it, I've had enough of you. Um, <laughs> Works both ways. She, 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 she's, working, she's working hard, so. Uh, but we've got two kids at school, uh, so we've got this new puppy. So there's been a few things, a bit of a juggling act to make sure it all works for the family, because if the family's not happy, then there's no point, you know, no point doing it so she she's been she's been absolutely amazing my wife and we found some solutions and got help from friends and so it's working well but i i thought about it i asked gats who was working with um had a look at the squad i saw where wells were after the autumn but having worked with gats and knowing the fun and the success we've had together working together yeah it didn't take long to make a decision now i I can't imagine gats i know he works exceptionally hard but he likes a bit of fun as well I can't imagine he's the sort of four o'clock in the morning phoning you up, what are you doing? Let's talk about this training session or that. Um, so you will be a bit of balance there. What's he like as a bloke, as a coach? You've obviously had him as a player and he's been your coach, but as a coach to coach, you know, we hear some coaches are horrific to work with because they're so intense. Gats doesn't seem that sort of bloke at, at all, does he? He seems like a, a proper coach. He's and a player's coach. He's a great ability to be really honest and direct with his message and challenge you, which is, which is healthy. But you come out more motivated than you you do with some other head coaches that I've heard about. So he's really honest. He's really blunt. He tells you how it is. It's always in a in a way to make you a better coach or a better player. And it comes from a position of care. He talks about family and how important that is. And I think he treats his rugby teams like families with honesty, directness, but making sure you have fun along the way. And it's a healthy environment because people are motivated to to improve to challenge, to have a bit of conflict now and again, but ultimately be totally united in, in what you're trying to achieve. I mean, he seems like a, a brilliant bloke to work for. And it's amazing where Wales were in November in terms of outside of Wales and probably inside it as well. But from an outsider's point of view, you're looking at Wales going, geez, they're really going to struggle, you know, off the back of the results they've had. You get Warren G involved, you put him back again, the, the regions start playing well, they start winning games. And all of a sudden... Yeah, like, geez, Wales are a decent threat again, and you, you see players like Jack Morgan and some of the other young kids coming through. How excited are you to be part of that moving forward, and the impact that you can have from where Wales have been respectfully in November to where, you know, a year out from the World Cup now, or even nine, ten months out from a World Cup, where you can get to? 
Yeah, so Gats got announced beginning of December. I think the regions have gone on a bit of a, a run and won all their games, but it's certainly a bit bit of a bounce in their step. You know, Ospreys against the French champions, beating Leicester at Welford Road. Scarlet's doing well. Dragons winning in Bayonne. Cardiff on a good run on the die. The boys are coming to camp with a real buzz, and I think they're they're hungry to to put right what happened in the autumn. We need to harness that that positivity and that confidence and channel it against Ireland, Scotland and England, all these games coming up. It's really exciting and I think the narrative has changed and I think you know Warren has that ability to galvanise a team. He tends to get the most out of the teams he works with, which is um, a credit to any coach, really. Yeah, he hadn't even started his job yet and there was a massive galvanising effect already, wasn't there, in terms of the regions. He's like the Messiah there, isn't he? I'm sure the Messiah had a, pot, a couple of pints every night. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's one of his qualities. You know, you work hard, you know, we work into the into the you know the late evening it's like right lads let's have a bit of a coach's debrief over a pint in the bar and it's just like oh yeah that's that's cool obviously i tell the missus i'm working till 10 o'clock at night <laughs> that's why i couldn't call but um no it's just a good way to unwind and just find out about people really try and find out about Forsh and jt and jenks know i know from before john humphreys they're all, they're all good men um then you meet the medical and the, the snc team and it's just good people and i think if you get good people you can when you have tough times, I'm sure there will be some tough times. You, you tend to get them through and better because you, you tend to know each other a, bit, a little bit better. So I think it's really important for that. You talk about good people now. You've got obviously got some of the best, some of those names that you just mentioned. But one of the best that I know and one of the best that you know very well from your Wasps days and now your Wales days, Bobby, Bobby Stridgen. Got a huge, huge energy around the place. Yeah, he knows his stuff. And that, that's ultimately what it comes down to. He knows his stuff and his S&C role. But yeah, his energy around the place is, is is infectious, and he's known Gats for twenty odd years now. You know, he joined Moss in two thousand one with Craig White and you know all the S and C staff, and as I said, great people who who bring incredible enthusiasm and, and energy to the group. Yeah, let's talk about how Wales are going to play then, because ultimately and respectfully, when Warren was in charge last time, it, there was the the whole tag around Warren Ball, and it was so good for Wales with that set of players. You're the attack coach. What's your philosophy on how you think Wales are going to attack and, and what's going to be some of the, the differences between what we've seen previously under Warren Gatland to hopefully Wales moving forward in every game? I want you to win every game except for England. That's all I care about. But You're like my mum, you are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll ask about England in a bit as well. But yeah, I mean, how do you see it evolving now? Because... It was obviously tough for Wayne Pivak and Stephen Jones after Warren left to try and re-identify how to play. What, what, what's going to happen for the Wales team in the Six Nations? All Gats' teams will be, the, the fundamentals will be hard work and f- physicality because without that, Test Rugby, yeah. you, you're not going to get very far. But with my remit is to get the best out of the players. And as I said, I think it's a really good blend of experience and some really good young backs. Whatever the, the mix-up is, I just need to get the best out of these players. So I'm going to be really positive with the ball. But I think the development will come over the two two months we're in squad together. I mean, we've only got like two weeks before the Ireland game. And I actually thought there was some development in the autumn under Wayne and Steve. I think the Australia game, it's one of those days where the last 20 minutes was just, just an absolute nightmare for, for everyone involved. But up to that point, they should play some decent rugby for 60 minutes. They moved the ball around and you got to see the best of what Wales did. And I suppose it's getting consistency of performance being really clear in, in our messaging and respecting you know the DNA of, of what Welsh rugby is and using the players' strengths, really. I'm getting still getting to know a few of the players, but 
I'm excited by what I've seen and what I think I can help them produce on the field. Yeah, some of the backs, obviously, you know, you're being in charge of attack and and backs and sort of launch and set piece plays and all that stuff. Some some of the backline plays and, and the players that you've got are incredibly exciting, aren't they? Yeah, you've got some young centres. I think Joe at uh, the Ospreys, Kieran Williams at the Ospreys, Mason Grady at Cardiff. Three guys in you know twenties, early twenties. Just it's really exciting. Established guys in Nick Tompkins and George in the centres, and it'll be a case of what blend we want to play to to get the most out of them. An exciting back three, a great blend of experience and and, and youth. And I just want to try and improve them as players individually through through the campaign and collectively see you know how how much better we can get over these course of these five games. One of the things you spoke about earlier is obviously the the differences between different environments and the Wasps days and the Leicester days. Now I played with Julian White as a tight head prop who was probably the best scrummager in the world, but the worst at handling the ball. And we used to cheer at training when he caught the ball. Are you amazed at the skill level of some of the forwards? Now, you're in camp, you're seeing you know, props go to the line, put it out the back and all that stuff. The game's changed massively, hasn't it, in in the last sort of five, six, seven, eight, nine years, where the skill level of forward play is just ridiculous. Oh, that's a great point, Goody. I think, um, I think New Zealand were always seen as the best team because of how comfortable their type five were on the ball. Yeah. So they never got into a situation where a prop or a second row broke down a sequence of plays because it, they didn't know what to do. They were, they were very comfortable on the ball and that was probably their their point of difference. But I think over the last certainly five, six years, I think ball handling in, in, in certainly in Northern Hemisphere has got much, much better. And... Ireland's probably one of the top teams in that. You know, the likes of Tad Furlong um, is, is absolutely brilliant. His his handling skills, and you know, he's a he's a tight prop who can scrummage, can run, can carry, and you know, can pass as well. So the skills of your tight five probably determine the flow of your attacking game. So we're constantly working on those those soft skills to make sure guys are comfortable being in the position if they get there. I would say let's let's use players in, in their best positions. So you know, getting your best ball players in those positions, getting your best strike runners coming off on, on tip lines, on edges, trying to upskill all those players so you can have a more uh, coherent and cohesive attacking unit. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG. 
Dakar. Yeah, definitely. Now, you mentioned your mum there in England. I've got to ask you about it. You're, you're a proud Englishman, I know. You're obviously very proud to be part of the Welsh coaching setup. Now, your mum, does she want England to win when they play Wales because she's English, but she wants you to coach really well? Is that how it, is that how it goes? Uh, I mean, the amount of, sort of good luck messages I've had from, from friends and family, like good luck for four games and bad luck in, in another one. It's like, oh, I mean, loyalty, loyalty's... Um, pretty thin actually on the ground <laughs> even at family level that's amazing <laughs> exactly well I, I you know I, I live in England I live in you know Tetbury in Gloucestershire so it doesn't get much more English than that <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's fascinating I remember six years ago when when I was part of the coaching setup and Elliot Daly scored in the left-hand corner I could not believe the amount of English shirts in that stand uh where the camera showed yeah I was like, where did, where did they get all these tickets from? Surely, <laughs> surely it's, it shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. But obviously, England this year is going to be absolutely titanic. Two new coaching groups. And, you know, Steve is very good at what he does. And he's got a good team around him. And he, he's he got, you know, huge depth of, of players. You know, they're, they're a quality team that probably hasn't fulfilled their potential over the last, you know, couple of years. So, no. I'm privileged to coach Wales and there's only one result I won that day. Yeah, and if you do get that result, I'd board up your house because everyone knows you live in Tetbury now and I'll be I'll be there banging <laughs> on the door as well. But not it's, a big, happy. it's a big place, Tetbury. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think went wrong for England under Eddie Jones in terms of the attack? And the talent pool's amazing, right? But was he too focused on holding things back for the World Cup or was it just his voice had dried up and England needed to change, you think? I haven't, I've absolutely no idea, really, because unless you're in there, you probably know more than me, Gilly, the amount of people you speak to in and around the game. I do think he obviously looked at the World Cup as the, the be-all and end-all, and, and, and I suppose it is, but I think living in the present and living in the here and now is really important in sport and not to get too far ahead because you can't control what's going on in nine months. All you control about is the, is the next game. I don't know Eddie's philosophy. I've never been in camp. I don't know. I mean, at Gloucester, probably Johnny was the... Johnny and Aki were probably the only guys who went into camp. Lads went in now and again. So I didn't get much feedback from the from the lads. But international rugby is, is, is a tough business and if you don't get the results. And I was at Twickenham for the, for the All Blacks game. Watched it for 70 minutes. It was pretty dire, I think. The drop goal and a yellow card. You know, came alive for 10 minutes, but it probably wasn't good enough. And I think, you know, the, the Twickenham crowd booing probably the final straw because people are forking out hundreds of pounds for, for tickets for the focus to be the World Cup and not the game that's actually being played is, 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 is a tough watch. So I've got no doubt they're going to bounce back under under Steve. He's a, he's a very good coach. He, he did very well at Leicester. He's got people in around him who he trusts and wants to work with. Kevin Sinfield seems an inspirational guy from, from what he's done for, for most neurodisease and Rob Burrows. So I, I think he's got some good people around. He's, as I said, he's got a deep player pool and he will look for small wins, I'm sure, at the start of the tournament and look to grow throughout the tournament, ready to go into the, into the World Cup. But I think Steve is very much a here-and-now guy, and that will be his that'll be his philosophy. Yeah, I think in England we are buzzing by the, the, the selections of, of the coaches. Nick Evans, one that was, for some people, kind of left field because he's a Kiwi, but the brand of rugby that Quinns play, you'd have obviously locked horns with him quite a few times as a coach. Uh, what are you expecting from from England's attack? You know, the Owen Farrell, Marcus Smith axis, how do you see that working as well? Because you will be analysing it, right, as well as coach now, because game three, it's on, right? It certainly is. <laughs> yeah, Nick's done brilliantly, isn't it, Quinns? Probably one of the most attractive teams to watch. I suppose that the, the challenge for all these for us as coaches is to get to get that message and that clarity across straight away. Not everything's going to be perfect from game one because 
you know what it's like. Rugby teams come together. Remember yourself playing the first game of pre-season and trying new ideas and stuff? It's- yeah, I was shy. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to hit the ground running. And I suppose it's what you hang your hat on on, on the first couple of games. You're not going to have the all-singing-dancing all game on game one, but you just want to see, I suppose, be true to you, to what you're trying to achieve, what you're going to hang your hat on, what, what do you want the game to look like. You're not going to cover every part of the game, but probably two or three areas you want to be absolutely nailed on, and therefore you can get some growth going forward throughout the tournament. But, yeah, Nick's obviously worked with Marcus Smith a huge amount. They obviously know each other inside out. And it'll be interesting whether they, they, they go for Farrell or, or Smith at, at 10. Yeah, that's Steve's decision. As an, as an England fan, but a Wales coach, what do you fancy? I think they're both very, very good players. <laughs> There's the straight part. They are. They're, you're right, they are. They <laughs> are. Like me and you, Goody. Very good. Very good players. <laughs> like, I was lucky. I wasn't that good. OK, let's get away from that then, because obviously it's a difficult for you to talk about being Wales coach. All the law changes coming in now. What do you make of this new tackle law that's going on at amateur level? And, and obviously, you know, it is about sort of making the game safer and all that stuff. In terms of a coach, you coach attack. How do you see that evolving in terms of the game, maybe making it more exciting? What, what are your thoughts on the, the law changes? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to speed it up, that's for sure. There'll be a lot more passing out the tackle. My 10-year-old plays in a local mini rugby club. The message on getting the game safer, I'm all for it. I feel the way that the message has probably been delivered has, has been a little bit, a bit lacking in clarity, really. And I think now... Looks like the the RFU are trying to fill that void of information. Really, it reminds me a bit of COVID, where the government come out with with a with a new policy. It's not clear. People then fill the vacuum of information with their own interpretation of what that looks like, and then the government come back then with with you know new proposals or whatever. And it just seems like I don't think there was enough consultation with with the clubs and the, the junior side of the game. But I've got no doubt the game needs to be safer. Is it the area I'd have probably looked at? I'm not sure. I think probably still the, the ruck area when you're trying to steal a ball on the floor and your neck's down and your head's down and you've got people, you know, trying to clear you out. I think that's probably a more dangerous part of the game than, than the tackle. As you well know, I think this part of the skill in rugby is choosing the tackle you want to do. Obviously, a leg tackle, if a player's going to the side, is, is the most appropriate. If you've got a 20-stone guy running at you and you're at fly half, you, you put your head in the spokes, you, there's only going to be one winner. Close your eyes. Exactly. Um, or let, or let, or let Lalio, Foley, Worsley, Haskell, or Reese do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think sometimes rugby's, you want a game full sizes, but especially in junior rugby, if you've got a kid who's, who's going through puberty and a kid who's not gone through puberty and there's a big weight you know, issue and he's running full pelt, sometimes you do go a little bit higher and you wait for the cavalry to come in and, and, and help you. So I don't know. I, I need to see the full investigation, remit, evidence, whatever they want to show to, to justify the rule change. But I just do think the d- delivery has lacked a bit of clarity. And that's why there's been such a bit, bit of a backlash about it. And as a coach that coaches attack, is there a law that you change in the pro game now to say this, this is one thing that really bugs me? Is it the the more law where you get held up in a tackle and you can drive them back 30 metres, but you still get the scrum if it's a turnover. Is there something that you change in the game now at the, at the top level in terms of laws? Yeah, so I think it's a, that's a great question. I think they should probably do that at the end of every year, just get a bit of a think tank together and see how can we make the, the game better without changing the fundamentals of the game. I, do, I, do, I don't like that law, the more one. I think it's I think it's a really negative law, really. How much better it would be if it was the one going forward? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone flies in then. I, even I get in that one. <laughs> even I get in. It's, it's something to think about. Obviously, we want, them, we want to keep the fundamentals of the game, the contest, the, the breakdown, you know, set piece, 
in the air. I do think the the pick and go holding up of the line's been been good. Lack of five meter scrums. It would be good if the scrum in general could be sorted out. Back when we played, it, it seemed to be such more simple, and we used to play a lot more away from the scrum. Now, as a coach, you really you don't get much time on the training field, and it's like how much time do you put into to scrums plays because a you don't know where they're going to be on the field, yeah. b whether they're actually going to survive the the free kick, the penalty, or the reset. It's a shame because it's the time where you've got sixteen players all together and it's back line on back line, and let's see let's see what you can do to exploit space and with a bit of skill and a bit of a combination. You, you hardly see any tries really now from, from Scrum, which is, which is a real shame. Yeah, I used to love that. I used to love that. Last thing I'll ask you then, mate. February the 26th is the day after, obviously, England play Wales down in Cardiff. Uh, you mentioned your son playing at the local rugby club. Is there any result that means you won't go down there on the Sunday morning with your Wales top on? No, just... I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be down there. <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 it's funny. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been there before. You just want to do a good job, really, um, and you want your team to play well and be proud of proud of their performance. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be down there, whatever, and I'll, there'll be one happy camp and one unhappy camp. But uh, my son's a bit confused; he's not quite sure who to support. Daddy or England? That's all I need to know. Yeah, I think I think you'll go for Daddy. <laughs> good man. Good man. Well, mate, I wish you all the best for the Six Nations in four of the games, obviously. Brilliant to have you on. Enjoy Gats. Enjoy the experience. And I know you're going to have a massive impact at Wales. Really chuffed for you and looking forward to seeing how you develop. But, mate, don't turn up for that England game, hopefully, and we can we can continue our quest to, to improve <laughs> under Steve. Brilliant. Appreciate your time, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Take care. Cheers, pal.